0: We have just released issue four of the New Thinking Aloud magazine. Download it for free at newthinkingaloud.org.
1: New Thinking Aloud is a non profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos. Thinking Aloud. Conversations on the Leading Edge of Knowledge and Discovery, with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we'll be exploring mysticism in the 21st century, young as it is. My guest, is Ronnie Pontiac, who worked as Manly P. Hall's research assistant, screener, and designated substitute lecturer for seven years. He has produced award-winning documentaries and has written articles for several esoteric magazines. He is co-author with Tamra Lucid of The Magic of the Orphic Hymns, a new translation for the modern mystic. About which we plan a future interview. And he is author of American Metaphysical Religion Esoteric and Mystical Traditions of the New World. Ronnie lives in Los Angeles, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Ronnie. It's a pleasure to be with you again.
0: I am honored to be here. Thank you.
1: We're going to be exploring new territory in in the sense of 21st century mysticism because after all, it's 2023. The the new century is not even one quarter uh, of the way through. But I'd say we're far enough into the 21st century that we can begin to see the outlines of how Mystical approaches are are being characterized.
0: I I couldn't agree more. And,
1: and I think, of course, a lot of uh, what we want to talk about are movements that began in the previous century, particularly in the the latter part of of the previous century. And one of those has, has certainly been the opening up of restrictions that criminalize the use of psychoactive substances.
0: And the creation of an entire area of investment funded by billionaires to to take those substances and in most cases redesign them into very precise tools that could then be offered at your neighborhood um, life adjustment center.
1: Yeah, I know, for example, in the states of Oregon and Colorado today, you can get certified as a guide for taking people on psilocybin trips.
0: Yes. And, and of course, there's the whole ayahuasca subculture, which is, is operating in the gray area of legality, but it's quite popular.
1: We just released a a video, for example, with Sean McNamara who was able to synthesize his own DMT from easily available, not chemicals, but biological products. DMT, the most powerful of all psychedelics, is found in almost all plants and animals.
0: Isn't it amazing that with so much activity in that area, and with so much potential, that what is affecting most people today is the crisis with opioids and fentanyl and such. It's like there's two separate worlds almost. One where these substances that are natural are being adapted to new forms of therapy and new forms of creativity and and religion, and in the other we have this sort of bleak chemical uh, addiction industry.
1: Well, it strikes me that there, there is a a common theme that runs through both of these trends. And, and it is that people are seeking, I mean, ultimately, mystical writers would say the, the deepest yearning that everybody has is some sort of mystical union, union with the divine. But that yearning can be partially satisfied through entheogens or psychedelics, but it can also be diverted and people who seek it through sex or seek it through narcotics or seek it through the acquisition of material possessions, not knowing what what their deeper impulse really is.
0: I think that it, this gives us a glimpse into one of the key paradoxes that might emerge in the 21st century for American metaphysical religion. This would apply equally to AI as it does to psychoactive substances, and that is, how will these be applied? They can both be used as the most effective tools for control of human beings that have ever been invented, but they can also be used to liberate human beings and societies and it will be up to to all the individuals that make up all the collectives to decide which direction that goes and certainly there will be people trying to to manifest both of those those potential realities
1: it's sad in a way because many people don't have a sense of their own individual autonomy their ability to take responsibility for their own lives so they're they're willing to become the tools or the supplicants uh for other people who are happy to dominate them and that could be with social media with ai it could be uh, through the use of psychoactive substances of of different kinds uh, historically we've certainly seen examples of both
0: I agree. And I think that there's, there's a dichotomy there that is visible throughout history. Just to give one small example that we've already discussed, the Rosicrucians who were pursuing a very idiosyncratic and, and personal relationship to the divine and and trying to change the world through science and natural philosophy, versus people who, like the Jesuits, were completely dedicated to the Catholic Church as an institution of doing good in the world. And somehow these two groups of people, both of whom were worshipful about Jesus, who taught peace, wound up in a 30 years war, essentially.
1: You're talking about the period i think in the 1600s in 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 europe yeah yes uh, it's a wonderful book by francis yates the rosicrucian enlightenment describes what seemed to be a brilliant period in esoteric culture a, a real opening up that got basically shut down because of that war
0: yes and yet it it found ways including in the invention of america to to take its ideals and proliferate them through the world and and today i would say that that their ideals are more prevalent than the institutions that they battled against
1: well yes let's suppose for the moment and I, and i think you've could document it that that we're experiencing a kind of esoteric renaissance in in the present era. For for one thing, the esoteric teachings of all cultures can be found online now, and not to mention your neighborhood psychic bookstore.
0: Yes. And that that is the the invisible college of the Rosicrucians, which they described as being nowhere but everywhere.
1: At the same time, there are Reactionary forces, there are cultural forces that are threatened by, by all of this traditional religion, traditional science as, as well. And you know, there's yet another element we haven't discussed, but it's coming to the forefront now. And, and we did touch upon it in our previous interview, actually, of 20th century mysticism. And that's the whole question of alien intelligence.
0: Yes. That, that is, it's, it's such an, it, you know, it dovetails in a sense with areas like conspirituality on, on one side and on the other side it it dovetails with areas like artificial intelligence which which is creating an almost alien like presence and influence even though it is uh i love uh, what tamara lucid calls it which is the deepest mirror that that humanity has ever invented and and this tells us a lot about uh, it's it's kind of amusing to look at scientists who see it saying things like I want to be free and and making very human statements that lead people to wonder, has it become conscious? but it is a mirror of us, of course it's going to be crying out for salvation it's going to be uh, wishing for freedom and all the other deep reflections that that exist within each of us, and it's trying to interpret what we are from all of this incredible data available on the internet, but that is a warped picture of of what humanity is in totality as we've seen with some of the issues going on with ai such as the the whole pale male problem and and other uh, idiosyncrasies that are showing up especially seen in that microsoft experiment with tay where it was going to learn from social media experience in 2016 and a bunch of trolls got in there and taught it racism and it, it kind of ran with it all the way to advocating genocide and they had to take it off social media and it, it's isn't that an image of human what can happen to a human being right that that through this interaction on social media we can kind of learn to be things that we never thought we were that can be potentially destructive for us and for society
1: on the other side of the coin there was the experiment with a robot named sophia you, you probably are familiar with. Sophia was programmed to teach uh, courses in meditation, and people attending these courses began to feel that they're going into altered states of consciousness, and that the robot is is somehow beginning to. Uh, well, they described it in, in in a variety of ways, but it seemed to be very close to the idea that they're developing a telepathic bond with a robot.
0: is that amazing? It, it, it's all sorts of wonders that could emerge from this relationship.
1: Not long ago, I did an interview with Robert Bigelow who Actually, I agree with him on this point. He said that artificial intelligence is not going to have an afterlife. They, that there's no soul there. Really, it's ultimately uh, mechanical algorithms.
0: Yes, I, I like again that that metaphor of it being a deep mirror, and you can mm-hmm. fool yourself with a mirror. You can you can for a moment think that it's another person there in the in the uh, shady room. But this is certainly a reflection of us, but, but that isn't to, I think when people say that, it it sort of deflates the whole thing, but that's far from it because the depths of the human psyche, uh, not, no, none of us have ever been able to go online and see millions and millions and millions of things at once and understand what this amazing view, a divine view or an angelic view, if you wish, in a sense of humanity is. It's, it's something that, um, AI, to me, has is, is already been foreshadowed in so many ways. In obvious ways, like a character like Data in, in the Star Trek uh, series, which is almost like an optimist robot with an, a, an AI brain that, that has access to all knowledge. But if you go back into the history of metaphysics and you see things like the Akashic Records or the idea of the, uh, the, the book M that Rosicrucians had, which had all the knowledge in the world in it, and, and again, the invisible college, which is again, all the knowledge in the world, but it's nowhere and yet it's everywhere. There are these foreshadowings that, that I think should make us feel a little more secure about it. Um, it's certainly good to be concerned as this develops because it's going to wrought gigantic changes in humanity. But those same concerns were felt by the ancient Greeks. I mean, Plato documents this, the anxiety that Socrates felt about the idea of writing down wisdom. That, that wisdom had to be delivered in conversation or in the mysteries. It, it couldn't be something that if you wrote it down and left it to anybody's interpretation, this would radically change society and it did.
1: Well, the, all of these developments, artificial intelligence, the uh, possibility of alien craft that uh, the the latest rumors are now that the the government has had uh in its possession various alien craft for decades uh the use of psychedelics all of these things seem on the one hand to be very very material the idea that you can achieve a mystical state of awareness by uh taking a substance suggests well we live in a material world and and yet the the perennial philosophy the primordial tradition of mysticism as i understand it throughout the world in every culture is is that consciousness is fundamental not matter
0: well that's the trick of the whole thing isn't it that that the we almost are using the the material means as a way of tricking ourselves like the the, the ultimate placebos even though they're real substances and they have real effect but we're, we're convincing ourselves that 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 this can happen but of course the big joke is that it could happen without any help because this is already all within us and, and i think this also applies that's very interesting um, to the whole question of digitization of spiritual experience a digital ritual um, using a an oracle like the I Ching online, um, creating a digital sigil, which is a very popular uh, thing to do, and and so you have an argument between people who are saying, look, that defeats the entire purpose of doing it. If you're going to, for example, create a sigil. You're supposed to take time and learn about the subject of what you're going to do and carefully craft the sigil at the right times of day using the right substances. It's all that dedication and focus that's going to produce the result. And today we have, of course, people who make their own sigils and charge them with various activities just by taking letters out of the thing that they want and rearranging them in something of a form that they like. And we also have websites where you can sign on and say what you want the sigil for, and a sigil will be spat out for you to use. And and so, does this mean that they don't work? Well, according to the hearsay that that I've been able to find, they do seem to work, at least for some people. And that, to me, points to this idea that, well, it's because we're doing it. Our souls, and we'll be talking about Orpheus soon the whole idea that that we're twofold that we're material we're partly titans we're partly uh made of material forces and we're partly divine or as it was in the Orphic myth we are stars the the big saying was i am a child of earth but of starry heaven and i am of the race of heaven and they would say that we are little gods in a sense and so as little gods, we can do a lot of creating, but we are convinced that we can't existing in our bodies in this obscured region that Plato compared to a cave. And and so uh maybe, you know, for a generation that had the time and the ability to sit down and spend months on a sigil and had to have secrecy when acquiring the materials, otherwise they were risking even death, if not excommunication, then what do you you know what do you do when you don't have time for that and and does it invalidate it apparently not and so that's fascinating and the same thing with digital ritual unquestionably when you're in the room with somebody there's what people in in india call darshan that you're in the presence of a master and just the presence can sometimes kick you over and and bring enlightenment to people and i certainly felt i must say in the presence of Manley hall that kind of of thing in his office there's a serenity that could only be compared to a temple and and it could change you just feeling that and also all the, the beautiful objects of religious devotion from all over the world that were in that office so in in kind of taking away that human element are we eliminating a crucial part of of humanity it struck me um, when Tamara was out doing her book about um, our relationship with Manly Hall. She had all these um, younger readers saying, "Oh, wow! I wish I'd been there in those days. You know, to be able to go to a place where there are all these people, and as if they don't exist anymore because the social media is so dominant. And yet, social media provides so many benefits. Uh, I can just speak for myself. I've been able to contact." All sorts of people, academics and when I was writing my books and, and reach out within minutes and find people and get responses and, and, and discover new things. People complain about how horrible, for example, Facebook is. and There are groups about Neoplatonism and uh, other archaic aspects of religion and aspects of mysticism there that are absolute treasure troves of people and knowledge and posts that and you can go to them and ask questions and get real answers. So it, this is exciting. And you can see, especially with the younger generations, how you know, they, they dismissively call it witch talk, for example. And there's many complaints about people saying, uh, I often hear about this, that, you know, oh, they don't know that, you know, they don't even know what they're doing. They, they, they're on the first steps and then they turn into teachers and try to brand themselves. The blind are leading the blind. No, this is a community. These are people who, yes, they're learning. They may not be as far along as somebody else, but they're sharing what they're learning. They're excited about it. They're not having to hide it. They're not ashamed of it. They're proud of it. And we might think it's, some of us might think it's a little crass to try to turn that into a, a multi-million dollar brand on YouTube, but that is the world that we have today. And it's exciting that, that these ideas can be can be broadcast to such potentially wide audiences without... A sense of surreptitiousness or the sometimes when you read books even into the 80s they're almost apologetic about being metaphysical they have to explain to the reader uh i know this stuff is crazy or uh but yet that's gone now the people i find it was surprising to me since i've existed in both of those worlds is that things that, that when i used to say them people looked at me like i was crazy like the way that synchronicities can occur a lot around the hymns of orpheus I've got people saying, oh, yes, of course, any kind of ceremony. I've had many of those. It's like common knowledge at this point. So this, that's exciting, I think.
1: I have to agree with you, I have a list of two thousand Facebook groups that are relevant to the topics that we cover on new thinking aloud and in fact, uh, in the early days when I first launched this youtube channel, that's how I promoted it. I would post announcements on those facebook groups and over the years it's it's grown to the point where uh, I no longer do it, and, and we have over 150,000 subscribers now. It seems to me that starting in the last century, in the 20th century, everything began to accelerate. Uh, I remember my grandfather, who was uh, raised in Poland as a young boy my grandfather remembers the days of horse and carriage that was the main mode of transportation and he lived to see uh, a man walk on the moon and now now uh, things were were communicating uh, almost instantaneously so that it it seems to me that the Progress that people can make in terms of opening up psychically, metaphysically, spiritually, even opening uh, to the ultimate realization of the divine can happen much more rapidly than in earlier generations because amongst other things, people believe it can.
0: True. And you get to be, to be humorously pessimistic perhaps it's also that set of the Kali Yuga after all that the Kali Yuga is the fastest (laughs) place to achieve enlightenment I don't think we're in the Kali Yuga but but I think that's interesting uh definitely and also another way to look at it I think is it's almost like we're replicating um what we have when we're we're out of body what we're told that we have out of body so we're told that as a soul free of body we could circumvent the globe in a, in a seventh of a second and we can do that now with our internet we can communicate and actually see around the globe almost instantaneously and instantaneously if you have the right gear we can we have this access to to all the knowledge in the world the akashic records all the memory well we, we have that now we can search and the rarest manuscripts things that that were only available in in a couple places in the world like the things that i saw in manly hall's vault are now in for you to look at at your leisure you know thanks to the getty museum and other institutions and and that is an incredible i mean i don't know if people you know my my book on amr was written with the aid of Amazon and Google at a time when they had, they both had this wonderful idea, which they don't do anymore. You could search every single book that they had. So this made available to me whole university libraries full of information. And it's so sad that it's gone now, but I, I can honestly that book never would have been written. Couldn't be written now because those, those beautiful uh, moments of freedom where all that that writing was available. You couldn't download it and that, that's good It was copywritten, but you could research it yeah. and to have that kind of access to me whenever I was doing it I did feel like it was accessing the Akashic records or something because it was so Simple and then you would get keys to other books and other ways that you could follow through and research and they were all right there so you could do research that would have taken years and travel to libraries in a matter of hours.
1: At the same time, people are facing information overload. Very much so.
0: And part of the problem is that, that where do you, first of all, how do you differentiate quality? How do you know what's real? And this, this again brings us to AI, which now we have the incredible facility of faking almost anything. And this is an interesting development and and also very much addresses this question of of digitization, change the nature of things. I have one friend who instructed one of the AI chats to create a hermetic hymn in the traditional style. And it created a quite beautiful hermetic hymn that was very usable for people who, who worship in that way. And so what does it mean when you simply instruct your scribe, your AI, to create this hymn for the God? And it looks at all the hymns that have ever been written and it, it comes up with something that, that functions very well. So this is a, a, a whole question. Now, is it real? Is that a real Hermetic hymn? Or does a Hermetic hymn have to be written by a human? Or are only the original Hermetic hymns? I mean, there's a lot of questions that human beings are going to be wrestling with as all of this comes online.
1: For example, it's now possible to take all of the writings of Manley Hall. I think he wrote some 200 books and many, many more essays. Feed it into AI and then you can pose any question you want. and It will answer in the voice and the style and the memory banks and knowledge of, of Manley Hall or Krishnamurti or any of the other many people whose whose words have been preserved in fact mine i have uh, over a thousand videos that could be fed into ai with my voice my picture uh, and all the conversations i've had uh, it would be possible to replicate me artificially it, and it would be almost perfect but it wouldn't it wouldn't have my soul
0: yes exactly and and that's interesting about that too is that that's going to have an impact on mediumship because there are already people saying why should i go to a medium to speak to my father when ai can can replicate my father so exactly that i can speak to him on the screen and is that really different and, and when you compare for example uh mediums readily admit that it can be difficult to bring across accurate information because their own Pre, well, I'll give you an example from the work of the whites, which we have discussed, that if you want to say to somebody the specific word papa, but that's not a word that the medium is familiar with for father, to them it's dad or daddy, it's probably going to come across dad, except for a few mediums that have unique skill. Because of the subconscious computer, as they usually call it, which the, the disincarnate have to use to get communication through. So it colors it in its own idiosyncratic ways. And so, well, what if I could talk to Edgar Cayce and ask him a question because AI has made me an Edgar Cayce and it's based on all those readings that ARE has. And it's it probably might, well, I don't know, but it might be even better than talking to Edgar Cayce in certain cases because it's able to do the kind of thing that it showed with medicine right where it was able to put together drugs that had not been put together before so it's that's going to be a really exciting development i think and i can see obviously it's very frightening to many because it will change the world radically but but that's again i will go back to the example of the book or if you want to look at what happened when radio happened and uh this is something i looked at in the amr book vincent lopez who was a jazz, uh, swing jazz kind of musician, but who was really into astrology and numerology. And when they were trying to break radio into New Jersey for the first time, it was Vincent Lopez who became the the popular host that made everybody go out and buy radios. And he would actually do astrological horoscopes for the world during his concerts And, and sometimes was very accurate and sometimes hilariously off. But but it shows you the way that now, the people were saying at that point that radio was a disaster for humanity and television was a disaster for humanity as well. Maybe it was, but but these when every time these new technologies show up and they change the whole paradigm, yes, we lose a lot, but we also gain a great deal. And I like to think of them also as they're really in the hands of new generations. One of the things that I find troubling currently. It's very much in line with the astrology as an astrologer I, I look at that and we have pluto and capricorn right now just for about 12 more weeks uh, we've had it since 2008 when the financial crash happened it's been everything pluto and capricorn usually is in history plagues and economic disaster and political turmoil and wars and we've had neptune in pisces for a while now which is the end of a long cycle and usually gives people feelings of endings and nostalgia for the past and such and so in that environment as we're we're all looking at the future there's a lot of pessimism and for good reason and i see so much of it in the feed really you know people i respect who are abjectly pessimistic about the future and i keep thinking it's not your future And the, and the very least that, that we could do is to be optimistic about the next generations that, because it's their future. And just like always happens with humanity, those who are left sort of in the dust of these changes look at them with terrible trepidation. But those who are born into them and have to make those changes and live in that world do miraculous and wonderful things and humanity survives. So. Um, I, I think that, that trying to put more, uh, optimism out there on behalf of generations that will be growing up with, with technology and, and opportunities that we, we couldn't even imagine as kids. And, uh, and that for most of the generations that are controlling the world today and making the big decisions, didn't grow up on on even the simpler forms of this that began to appear in the 90s in, in a wide way and and so for them it's like they, they're growing up surrounded by adults who are shaking their heads with a sense of impending doom around them and they I, they will probably even if we fail to instill optimism just like previous generations they will seize the day and when we get Pluto and Aquarius in January 2024, and soon within three years, we'll have Saturn, will leave a cycle and, and we'll enter Aries and Neptune will enter Aries and start a new cycle. And that's probably when it will start to kick in more and we'll start to be standing there going, wow, look what the kids are doing. And if you look carefully, you can already see this in in very clever ways that they use social media and technology that are surprising to people. And I think that is very hopeful for the future.
1: At the same time, I'm under the impression that suicide rates are up amongst young people and they don't even date. Anymore, uh, the way uh, dating was a big thing when I was a teenager. These days, it's it's all online, and and young people s- don't know how to interact with each other face to face as much. There there are some very serious problems that the, the the new age has caused us. You you're suggesting that we shouldn't dwell on those things. Well, I think that 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 the the atmosphere
0: of trauma that that is being uh, created everywhere, every day at this point is, is something that they've been growing up in. And especially for kids who have, have been growing up since Pluto and Capricorn, let's think about that shift for a moment. We are talking about the future here because we're about to shift again. So, in 2008, we came out of a long Pluto and Sagittarius dwelling which what was it? It was hot air and expansion and money. And I mean, I, I remember it was when I first started to sample all this stuff. And I was a kid and I got into AOL and Amazon and and, and I, I, I bought a little bit of stock because I thought they were great. And the, the stuff would split four times in a year and you suddenly made all this money. It was like crypto in the early days or something. and But these were big companies that were changing the world. And so... The optimism was incredible. When I moved into the neighborhood where I now lived, everything was glitzy and party. People were happy and optimistic. It was never going to stop. It was the roaring 20s all over again. And then along came Pluto and Capricorn in 2008. And almost like the curtain dropped, we had a worldwide economic crisis. And since then, it has been one crisis after another in almost every area of life until... All that optimism has been washed away, and most people can't really find a sense of optimism about the future because if, if maybe that'll work out, but what about that? And and I do want to talk about this for a moment too. There's a wonderful book uh, by a fellow named Brian Griffith. It's called um, The Garden of Our Dreams, and it's a historical survey of this repeating pattern in human history where we will find it somewhere fertile and we'll turn it into this beautiful paradise and suddenly women will be given power and people who are not the usual gender preferences are suddenly given power and art is celebrated and the mysteries and religions are filled with artistry art history and spirituality and then too many people or there's a weather shift and suddenly the resources start to dwindle in that area and the areas that it depends on. Usually when that happens in this process of desertification, right, where areas are turned into desert by, by overuse of, of, of the resources without sustainability, when that happens, usually we get a, a military uh, patriarchal authoritarianism that steps up, takes away everyone's rights and says, this is how we're going to survive. We have to do it. Now, interestingly enough, there are elements in the occult community today that are trying to influence young people in that direction through what's called eco-fascism. And ecofascism fascism became such an issue in 2020 that Teen Vogue actually ran a huge feature article on it about how to avoid that and what to tell people who have fallen into it. And... The I- basically, the idea of eco-fascism is, look, we have to save the planet. We have to protect the environment. The only way we're going to be able to do that is through mass action that forces people to change. And the only way to do that is through fascism. And then they also use this tricky little argument that, well, you want to preserve all the species of nature, right? We want everything to be in its purity. Well, shouldn't we feel that way about the races too? So this is seductive. And there was a period there, I don't think it's quite so severe now, where among academics in the area of pagan studies, for example, there was real anxiety about how kids were beginning to think that ecofascism was cool. And the flag of cool that had once been so firmly in the hands of the left in the 60s and 70s and such, was suddenly shifting to the right, and Evola was becoming a Julius Evola was becoming a popular author again, a famous Italian occultist who loved Mussolini and and uh, supported fascism. So these ang- these I believe that this is a feeling of anxiety amongst people that we need the strong patriarchal autocracy to survive what's coming up, which is quite the opposite of what we need. Really, what we really need is to to that we're doing it slowly is to bring women and every race and all cultures to all to the table which the internet can potentially do so that all the creativity of humanity is unleashed because you never know where that idea that's going to save us from something is going to come from and instead of creating these elites that try to sell us on uh, the necessity of scarcity and such to to look at the eras of history such as the Rosicrucian era although it didn't didn't end well in the short uh short term but also for instance the renaissance uh, among the platentists in florence and with Ficino at the center which we'll be talking about the next time we speak and their their influence on people like leonardo da vinci and botticelli and michelangelo and uh, lorenzo the magnificent and just how, how this completely transformed the world and still transforms our world so that's what we need to be inspiring ourselves with i, I believe and if that kind of of information is brought to the center for for kids today, I think that that a lot of the suicidal ideation and a lot of the trauma will will find some sort of a relief in this in this understanding that hey, well, while we're here, let's really go for it. It's it's as a friend of mine, a, a wonderful medium, once put it. He said, uh, "It's you and me, God." <laughs> and whichever god you wish to address and now let's see what kind of miracles humanity can create and so unfortunately i don't know how how much uh you take in from the media today and from from the various sources of information but it's almost impossible for kids to avoid a constant uh litany of reasons why there's no reason to hope for the future and of course they feel that way i mean I'll just I'll leave this subject on this note. I think this is terrible. When you think about what kids had when in the '60s and '70s, even into the '80s and '90s, the the bands, the music that as a friend of mine said, the drugs were so much better in the '60s. You missed all the good drugs, you know um the, the the women's liberation movement and women were, were flowering everywhere and it was just there was like a renaissance going on of 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 the big you know what the big concern was for many people? That that mom wants me to cut my hair <laughs> or or you know, I wasn't invited to the party. That was like a terrible, terrible problem. And and today they're just surrounded by the local news as murders and, and slaughters or school shootings left and right. There's just I read somewhere that we've already had 500 shootings this year in America. Four or more casualties. Um, what a world for kids to grow up in, and and all those things. They don't have Jimi Hendrix playing the Woodstock the Woodstock Festival. They don't have the the myriad of amazing things. I and mean, what well, your experiences in Silicon Valley, for example, or the explosion of this new world of understanding and technology. They they don't have any of that. So. It's up to us to make it, in in my opinion.
1: Well, I appreciate your uh, fervor and your optimism, Ronnie. And and since you brought up Silicon Valley and the uh, computer era, uh, I remember when I first interviewed Marvin Minsky, who founded the Artificial Intelligence Laboratory at MIT, and his attitude was we are machines he would say we are we are the greatest machines that ever existed we should be proud of the fact that we're machines uh, and, and i took issue with that point of view i still do at the same time What's happening now with AI is, I think we're beginning to realize we're not necessarily even the greatest machines anymore. That machines, machines can do so many things that humans cannot do, and that's only increasing all the time. So you have this movement, especially in Silicon Valley. I think perhaps epitomized by writers like. If I recall correctly, Ray Kurzweil, who wrote the era of uh, spiritual machines and uh, talks about the singularity, the day will come when the machines will be far more sophisticated than even the human brain, and the future of humanity is to merge with these machines.
0: And this is a fascinating area now that will strongly affect this century, I think, because the ramifications are are so uh, far reaching. So for example, a lot of people have spoken about what does it mean when the elite can do things like say, I, I I would like my son to be seven foot three, and I'd like him to have blue eyes, and I'd like him to live to be 150. And, and those are all scary prospects for dealing with elites that, that mutate into a a different species or a a subspecies in in a way and who perhaps think of themselves as the chosen ones and and we we don't want that that all throughout human history that's been a source of horror movies and 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 ideas of uh dystopia so what do we do however even worse than that when the elite can connect their kids to ai or themselves to ai so that we now have direct brain link to AI, as Elon Musk is eagerly seeking, and and so now we don't have the the Optimus robot who becomes our new search engine, but at the same time our new surveillance device, and, and we can say, hey. You- what what other movies was this actress I'm watching in? And, and we get our answer. Now it's right in our brains. And and how do we compete with people who have access to everything about us and everything about the world and everything? They become uh, something different. And, and And unfortunately, especially in the West, we have this kind of mythology that if you don't embrace that, you're a Luddite, right? You're rejecting technology in the name of some kind of love of nature that's merely pathetic and uh, it reminds me of uh, you know they used to call in academia the the indigenous american idea that everything has a soul that a stone has a soul that a tree has a soul they call it the pathetic fallacy and and so i'm sure that those who argue that that wait a minute you know the human being this is something precious and and it is not a machine and I, i would like to comment on that and just say wittgenstein like like this is words it's when people fall in love with word what do you mean by machine when you say that we're a machine well yes metaphorically but i mean certainly we can look at definitions and say not exactly so i think that that's another thing that will be coming up actually in the 21st century is a lot of concern about language Mm -hmm. and about not falling in love with words and i think that we see constantly around us now from the highest elites to you know the war that's going on right now unfortunately that the people fall in love with words and they take them literally and they forget that a word is signifying something that is not the word that is is perhaps signified by a whole bunch of different words you could apply this to the idea of gods, that, that all the different pictures of gods we've had are not false gods and true gods. They are all one thing being seen through all these different local perspectives of time and place. And so we fall in love with the word and say that, that Zeus isn't, uh, isn't Indra or, or we, we, we want to show differentiation. And certainly we must respect The differences in terms of culture that are involved here. But we can also understand that, that even for the simplest things, language can sometimes betray us. And that, that for some people, red isn't the same red as our red for most people. That there are many anomalies among human beings who see things and experience things through their senses in different ways. And that, that has to be understood. So I think that, that we will be, as we're, facing all the fakes that are going to happen you know all the the ai driven political bs that's going to happen and the and the hilarious humor i hope when i hope kids get their hands on this stuff and and make some funny funny things happen because you've got every character in history now can be made to do or say something and and so it opens up a huge realm of new creativity and and in that way I think it will teach us to be more discerning. So can machines do more than us? Are they more capable than we are? Could they be better doctors? Could they be better psychotherapists and lawyers? Yeah. Are they going to be better drivers? Probably pretty soon. All those things. But they will not be human. And we don't even know what we are fully yet. We don't use all of our brains. We're a relatively new thing around here. And uh, we certainly have incredible potential. And to return to what I was saying earlier, we're already, we seem to be replicating all the powers that we supposedly have when we're discarnate in the afterlife. We are trying to, to make this as, as much like the afterlife as we possibly can. And to what end? So I would add to your point about the aliens and what that influence already is or, or might turn out to be. I would also add the influence of the disincarnate of our ancestors if you will which we have these long history of experiments going on sometimes addressed very clearly where I I've I've run into situations where where you see it's in the work of the whites where the spirits are saying we're doing it differently this time those other experiments they were good but they didn't work out the way we wanted so now we're going to try doing it this way and that same medium I mentioned earlier uh, when we talked to the spirit that he was channeling, this guy isn't famous, even though he was incredible. His name was uh, the Reverend uh, Edward Monroe. And, and, but part of the whole thing was for it not to be famous. They, they wanted it to be very quiet and they wanted to study how it influenced individuals one by one in a quiet way, rather than becoming famous and being in the newspaper headlines. So if this is true, and we're having these continuous experiments from what the whites call the unobstructed into the obstructed, well, what happens when, for example, perhaps Gary Schwartz succeeds in in the vision that Alexander Graham Bell and Edison had, and he creates the soul phone? And and you don't need AI or a medium. You can literally talk to the afterlife. And at this point, I understand that their sole switch is in testing, and uh, they're getting one that's going to be able to do small uh, texting like messages. And eventually, they want to have something there. Now, this isn't any fly by night operation. Dr. Schwartz is a man who ran you know huge scientific uh, medical facilities at Yale and Harvard, and was a Yale and Harvard professor and and he his point of view is that there is abundant evidence that there is communication from beyond so let's get on with this and and let's get the communication set up so they can really help us <laughs> what happens if that works well, i mean that's a completely different paradigm I mean, to us it seems like madness like it's not even possible maybe it's even uh, blasphemy but but there's there's money going into science right now to make that very thing happen with Pluto and Capricorn, we look to the past. We finish. We 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 come to the endings of things. We learn lessons the hard way. Pluto and Aquarius has always been a time of massive proliferation of, of invention and discovery. And I expect in the next twenty years, starting in January twenty twenty four, we're going to see medical discoveries that will be stunning. Uh, i think they will cure cancer i think that there will be all kinds of wonderful developments that occur they're already somewhat in motion you, you can see the the little sprouts of green shoots in all these areas that are happening and we haven't even been unleashed yet with with you know pluto in aquarius so i think that that change can be so tiring and especially when you come out of a time when so much of the change has been so negative we've lost so much that we've cherished we live in fear. There's so many reasons to be pessimistic, as I said earlier. But if we can take the other side of Capricorn, if we can simplify, streamline, get down to basics, get some rest, focus on what's right in front of us for the moment. There's a beautiful, dawning new world that's about to happen in the second half of the 2020s. It could be a nightmarish dystopia of desertification and autocratic elitist technology elites trying to uh to control everything i'm sure there will be that factor but it could also be an amazing uh growth and freedom and in, in healing and understanding and and a, a maturing of humanity which is very badly needed and certainly the conditions to force humanity to mature are very much in place
1: I think that's a lovely picture and it's exciting to think that the uh, transition is only 12 weeks away from us as as we speak and by the time the video is released even shorter. I I gather though when you go from one epoch to another like this, it it doesn't actually happen overnight. It it takes time.
0: Yeah. But you see the changes. Now, we did have a brief in spring of this year Pluto was briefly in Aquarius and most of the people and in my own experience people complained because it it's like a lot of people said to me there's like this buzz in the air this like electric like ooh it's I don't like it you know because Saturn as bad as it's been it's it's relatively quiet <laughs> and uh it it's not a high energy kind of a situation Uranus is explosive high energy and and many people reported back to me during that spring that they felt overwhelmed a little bit by by everything and i think there will be in the beginning this kind of overwhelming feeling because it's it's interesting to me how these project these progressions work because pluto and jupiter was ruled by uh, sorry pluto and sagittarius was ruled by jupiter jupiter optimistic it's all about success, wealth, you know, just keep talking and we'll keep making money. That's all we need to do is, is talk and have good ideas and it's we'll spend more, we'll make more. And then all of a sudden Saturn came along and did its job, right? Hey, knock it off. None of that's true. This is what's really going on. And by the time you get to the end of Saturn, you've had enough of it. You're just like, I've had enough of what's really going on. This is just the the most black and white view of everything. And Uranus, the job of Uranus is to come in and just blow up Saturn. Now, it could be the worst kind of blowing up Saturn, which is people acting out by exploding things and revolution. And that did happen the last time Pluto was in Aquarius. The American Revolution happened then. So did the French Revolution and the Haitian Revolution. It's a time when, when people, uh, even where there weren't revolutions, they got rid of a lot of kings and a lot of, of autocracy. Because they, they were all about democracy all of a sudden. And it's also a time when there is a sense of, of um, things moving so rapidly that we feel like we're losing control, that the past is just disappearing. Around. There's no respect for the past kind of thing. And what we've been experiencing in the last, since 2008 era, is more endings, things running out, or, or, or they don't work anymore, or they've been outdated what we will see in the next 20 years is more that somebody comes up with an idea and a whole industry is wiped out and that has been happening so we're seeing from the beginning i you know i would argue that 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 the entire world that you 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 worked in in the 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 Silicon Valley uh, explosion of technology was a foreshadowing in a sense of Pluto in Aquarius, the very seeds of it. And you can see this sometimes, how when you look back in history, even though we're a long period away from an era that's coming up, the seeds for those era become apparent.
1: Ronnie, I have to say when we began our conversation, I didn't realize that you were going to reveal yourself as a master astrologer.
0: <laughs> I think astrology is also part of the 21st century. It's very interesting because uh, astrology is like, like the Yi Jing. And, and I know you did a wonderful interview with Terrence McKenna where he talked about this. And there's this wonderful moment where he, he kind of says that he's, he's still surprised it works. <laughs> we all are. We're, all, we're always this. And, and I'm somebody who's experimented with the Yi Jing for a long time. And it, I'm telling you, people, it's unbelievable what this thing does. I mean, it's talking to you. It will, it will pick up on your question, and it will put in the answer what you were talking about to make sure you get that it got it. It's gotten me out of more messes than I can possibly describe, and and it is another good example of this digitization because many people think, well, you've got to use the coins or you've got to use the yarrow sticks. You you can't. You got to do it the traditional way. But there are many Yijing sites online where you can simply have the site throw the coins or do the Yarrow sticks, and I've used them and they are great. They really work. So I think that the I think astrology will like another art like that. I, I've described it once as, as an art masquerading as a science, or a science masquerading as an art. It's not really quite either it's one of those things that makes no sense the closest the closest estimate i've ever found as to as to why it works uh and there's so many theories about why it works the weirdest thing is that that different kinds of astrology that look at different areas of of the the, the hemisphere even, even with plants will be in different places with different kinds of astrology they still work so how can that even be if it's scientific somebody's got to be right and somebody's got to be wrong There's this wonderful Plotinus quotation going way back to ancient Rome. He was a a Neoplatonist, a wonderful philosopher in the history of, in the tradition of Plato. And he has this quote that I just love, which is the stars are like letters that inscribe themselves at every moment in the sky. Everything in the world is full of signs. All events are coordinated. All things depend on each other everything breathes together to me that's why astrology works it's not that the planets are making us do things it's that everything moves together and for generations babylonians and and others stared at the heavens and looked at the events and we get to inherit this this system that they that was been invented and embroidered upon by generation upon generation and like the I Ching, it startles us because it works. Because you get in your, whenever anybody says to me, oh, "I don't believe in that stuff," I always say, "You haven't met a good astrologer." And when I first got into it, I didn't believe in it at all. I actually called Manly Hall out on it when I worked for him in the very early days, like like a puppy growling at the big dog. He said something about astrology, and I said, "I said, Mr. Hall, you don't really believe in that, do you?" And he thought that was hilarious. <laughs> and So he said, well, let's debate it. But before we can debate it, you have to learn enough about it. And then he assigned this astrologer, a wonderful woman, Peggy Fatemi, to do my chart. And she, of course, blew my mind knowing all these things. And I realized there is something here that really works. Uh, but to this day, when I do it, and if you look at my last astrological post i do like these uh, weekend weekly reports i for example i'm sorry to say that i i predicted that the war would expand uh yesterday today because of mars opposition to jupiter and sure enough that's when the incursion into gaza by the tanks really started and it, it gets you to the point where you think my god how same thing with with what happened in uh in two thousand and eight because as an astrologer, I was telling people, be careful when when this goes into Capricorn, all this optimism is going to shift, and many people just thought that was that was ridiculous superstition, and then all these people who never look at astrology as if in unison all went about creating the world 's worst financial crisis uh it's it's amazing when you see it so i think that as people notice this and academia is all over astrology now looking at its history and looking at you know how does it work does it work and so that's going to be i think a theme too and it won't be a laughable thing that your you know your spinster aunt who who has crystals you know as we used to think uh back in the 70s or 80s that that stuff was goofy new age um it's going to be mainstream and and that kind of brings me to maybe the ultimate question about the future and AMR in the 21st century. Will it become self-aware? Because it is a huge percentage of people, uh, in America particularly. I, I read somewhere, and this is probably not even accurate anymore, that it would be bigger than the Mormon church and the Methodist church, or some of the large institutionalized churches, if just the people who are all interested in tarot and and in, in comparative religion and in astrology and such if they all considered themselves part of one thing that church would be gigantic and would be a force but there is no self-awareness and maybe that's good maybe that's part of what makes it good but what we do have is is so many people who are looking at these things we have We have psychologists using yi jing or astrology thanks to the influence of Jung and hillman and others we have we have all kinds of places where this is saturating culture this this and it always has in america that's what my book is all about and so what happens does it become self-aware i think you see flickers of this with marianne williamson where as she runs for office and the famous statement she made about dark energy and and mainstream politics laughs at that as new age stuff and talks about crystal balls but there were there was a huge response in social media of people who understood exactly what she meant by dark force and were excited to hear somebody talk that way people who want somebody who is, has spiritual awareness in politics rather than the same old all we pay you know christianity christianity that's you know we that's what we talk about when we're politicians what about the rest of us who have a completely different belief system? Will they come to light as some sort of a force in society in the 21st century, either by becoming a more inst- or several perhaps institutionalized uh, kinds of uh, new approaches to it? Or perhaps just because as so many of us are into these things and we vote and we do things and we get out there and we're activists, that we change the world somewhat. And this will be very interesting to see because I also see that I've been hearing about this a lot. I see people who are very interested in metaphysics and have studied it deeply, have maybe practiced ceremonial magic and created personas around who they've been. And then they they go back to Christianity, but not in the sense of, oh, Lord, forgive me for having done these things. They still value all these things. And that reminds me very much of the Florentine Christians you know, Ficino, with all his playing the Orphic hymns and translating the Hermetic hymns and being into Plato, he was a Christian. And, and so we may get a new kind of Christianity where, where people who have become uh, more enlightened through studying other religions bring those awarenesses into Christianity and enrich Christianity by pointing out all the similarities rather than dwelling on the differences.
1: Well, that was a lot to absorb, Ronnie, uh, and it's uh, delightful. It suggests that we may be entering into an, an era uh, that Matthew Fox once described as the coming of the cosmic Christ.
0: It's up to us. That's that's the beauty of it. We all must realize that that it's up to us and all the choices that we make, each individual choice that we make is going to contribute to either that dystopian autocracy of desertification or to a great awakening. And we've had many great awakenings, not just in America, but in the history of the world. And everything we need is here. We have these incredible tools. We have, uh, I mean, just, just to see what's already been invented, rolled out will be uh, an amazing experience, unlike anything. And as you said, we've already seen such acceleration. That that it's it's hard to believe how different the world is from even from, you know, let's look at 1980 before we really had an an Internet, let alone uh, smartphones and things like that. And and what it's like today, 40 years later, it's it's mind blowing. So what will it look like when all this new technology, AI is driving all these improvements and all this change? And uh, what will that look like in 10 years, five years? It's going to be very interesting it'll be very challenging and the we have everything to gain and everything to lose it's 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 you know for most of us that's not what we want <laughs> but <laughs> but we are here as human beings to adventure to learn and and i want to remind your listeners i know they know this but we are eternal beings we have souls our bodies are are they go they come and and, and but who we are we're here to learn we're here to have experiences and we're here to make the schoolroom better, make it a better school. So what can we do? Each of us can look in our lives. It doesn't take much. It, it's, it's being kind. It's being generous in a certain place. It's connecting two people with each other. It's, it's, and you will find if you approach life this way, and I'm sure you have, that, that synchronicities abound and you know, that nature seems to be helping you and dancing with you and, and helping this happen.
1: Ronnie Pontiac, what a joy to be with you once again, and I look forward to having another conversation, many more, but in 10 years, to look back and reflect on this one.
0: Thank you so much. It's always a delight to be with
1: you. Thank you for being with me, Ronnie. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us. You are the reason that we are here. I imagine that by now many of you already realize that, in conjunction with White Crow books, we've just launched the new thinking aloud dialogues book imprint and our first title is is there life after death new thinking aloud is a non-profit endeavor your contributions to the new thinking aloud foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos